Well, Merry Christmas, church. It's good to be with you all this morning. As we continue our worship this morning in the Word, can we take a few moments to bow in prayer? Uh, Father in heaven, we rejoice this morning in the birth of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for our sweet time of worship as we get to uh, sing praises to your name, Lord, as we have an opportunity to hear these kids, the kids choir this morning sing praises to your name. And we just thank you, Lord, that we can dig into your word. So, Father, I pray in a moment like this that you would shift our focus off of our week, off of the things that have been going on in our lives and onto you. Focus them onto your word. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, that your word would like, be like a seed that's planted uh, that would, it would bear fruit unto righteousness in our lives, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and who we are not in Christ. We ask that you'd make us, and we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, if any of you are familiar with the islands in Hawaii, you may or may not be familiar with the story of one island, Molokai. Uh, Molokai is an island that in the 1800s was used as a place of refuge and a place of seclusion uh, for those who had contracted uh, what was a, a disease that couldn't be treated back then, Hansen's disease or, or leprosy. And so because of the disease, whoever contracted it, they would uh, have to be separated from the population and they would be placed on the island of Molokai. Well, there was uh, a young dedicated priest by the name of Father Damien who uh, volunteered to commit his life to serve the lepers on this island. And so he made a trip there for the first time and he was uh, completely surprised at the extent of suffering that he's witnessed. Not just the physical suffering, but the emotional and the spiritual suffering. As he took a look at the people on the island, he, he saw people who were in desperate need of hope. In their hopelessness, they had turned to immorality, they had turned to drunkenness, uh, they had turned to violence against one another. In their hopelessness, they asked questions that many ask even today. Does God exist? And if God exists, does he even care about us? Well, as Father Damien began to minister on the island there, he helped uh, found a, a hospital and a church. And uh, during his time there, he also uh, helped build 600 uh, caskets. Uh, he also would lead services on Sunday morning, and he would always begin the same way, and he would, he would refer to the people this way. He would say, my fellow brethren. But one Sunday morning, in 1885, uh, Father Damien, at just the age of 45, in a cool, calm voice, instead of greeting the uh, individuals, my fellow brethren, he greeted them, my fellow lepers. Today, I am one of you. The Christmas story is really a story about Jesus, who is God, who left the, the, the heavenly realm and came to uh, this island of hopelessness called earth. And on this island of hopelessness, the reason he came from heaven to earth was uh, in order to provide hope to the hopeless, was in order to seek and to save that which is lost. And the reason he was born in a manger is in order that he might die on a cross, this morning, we get to continue to tell that Christmas story. And I want to tell that Christmas story from the perspective of eternity. In Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 5 to 11 together. Whenever we have an opportunity to tell the Christmas story, sometimes we might tell the Christmas story from the perspective of the shepherds or of the wise men. 
We might tell the Christmas story from the perspective of Zechariah or Zacharias or Elizabeth or even Mary and Joseph. There's a familiar song that many of you know called Mary Did You Know? And in that song, we, we ask Mary, what did she know? What was the Christmas story through the eyes of Mary? But this morning, I want you to consider not what Mary knew, what did Jesus know? What did Jesus know in eternity past about his birth, his life, and his ministry? What did Jesus know about his death and his subsequent resurrection and ultimately his exaltation? What did Jesus know as we consider the Christmas story from the perspective of Christ in eternity past? Now, as you make your way there in your Bibles, we've been telling the Christmas story through the season of Advent. We began in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 where the need for Christmas first arose and the promise of Christmas first was given. From the seed of the woman would come one who would crush the head of the serpent. And then we headed to the Psalms and we took a look at how the second coming in Psalm 98 sheds light on the first coming of Christ. The last time we were together, we headed to Isaiah chapter 9, and we considered the Christmas story from prophecy as this prophetic word was foretold 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus Christ, that he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And today we head now to Philippians as we consider the Christmas story from the perspective of Christ in eternity. What did Jesus no. Would you stand in honor of the reading of the word? We begin in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And that every Tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord, you all may be seated in the presence of God this morning. As we walk through our text together, I want to consider what did Jesus know in eternity past? As we take a look at the Christmas story from the perspective of Christ, what did Jesus know? As we enter into our text, verse 5, we learn that Jesus knew in eternity past that he would exemplify and model a mind of selfless humility. Verse 5, uh, Paul is giving instructions to the Philippian believers and he says this, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, we're reminded that the reason why Jesus came was not just to give and offer the gift of salvation, but to set an example for those who would receive that gift of salvation. Paul begins and said, let this mind, what mind? Well, the, the instruction given in verse 5, uh, it comes out of the context of the first four verses. Uh, Paul is encouraging the church at Philippi, the believers at Philippi, to pursue harmony and unity among the body. Despite the diversity, Paul says the key 
to Christian harmony is adopting an attitude of humility. In verse 3, Paul said this to the believers, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem one another above themselves. And so the kind of mind we are invited to adopt, which is the same mind of Christ, is not a mind that is selfish. It's not a mind that is conceited or prideful, but is a mind that is selfless in terms of one's humility, and that is exemplified in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We're reminded in Mark 10.45 that Jesus said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The reason Jesus left heaven for earth, was born in a manger, was in order to serve you and I by going to a cross to die for our sins in order that we might have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That's the wonderful gift of Christmas. And not only are we invited to receive that gift, we're invited as believers who have received that gift to follow the example and let that same mind, a mind of humility, not of conceit, not of selfish ambition, but one of selfless humility, we should adopt that mind in our relationship, one with another, because where there is humility, there you will also find harmony. As we esteem the needs of others before our own. So what did Jesus know in eternity past? He knew in eternity past that he would exemplify and model selfless humility. And so the Christmas story is about the coming of Christ who not only offers the gift, but sets the example for those who receive it. The application that we're going to see throughout our text this morning is first given specifically to the unbeliever. The individual who may be a seeker this morning, trying to discover who is this Jesus, who has not yet trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord. In 2 Corinthians 9.15, the gift of Christmas is described as an indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I want you to know this morning that if you're a seeker or an unbeliever, the reason why Jesus came is in order to serve you by going to a cross to die for your sins. And the invitation of our text this morning, the invitation of the Christmas story is to receive the gift first by admitting your need for Christ. Uh, by first admitting to the Lord that God, uh, I have a sin problem. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that is the thing that separates us. You know, some people say, what is sin? Well, sin is just disobedience towards God. Disobedience to God, and it's expressed in our attitudes, our affections, and our actions. The root cause of that sin is, is a heart that we've inherited that doesn't stand in obedience to the Lord to, to do the will of God or the word of, or obey the word of God, but to stand in rebellion against God. And so the, the, the invitation is to admit our need for Christ to admit that Jesus is the solution to our problem. He was born in a manger to die on a cross and then to trust in him as your savior and as your Lord. The truth of the matter is, whether you realize it or not, when you're born into this world, you're born with a heart that is sick. And the truth of the matter is, is you can't change your heart. What you need is a new heart. 
And only can you receive a new heart by trusting in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. So receive the gift. But secondly, for every believer in the room, we are to follow the example. For every believer in the room, the reason Jesus came as a baby born in a manger was not just to provide us a gift, but to set an example as we adopt a selfless attitude of humility in our relationships one with another. And so this morning, can I invite you to adopt an attitude of humility by asking the question, how can I serve instead of be served? This Christmas, I want you to consider this question. We'll consider it throughout our text this morning. How can I serve my family this Christmas instead of asking, how can they serve me? How can I serve those in my church body this Christmas? Maybe as you're sitting next to someone in the chairs around you, there might be someone who you might be able to invite to Christmas dinner this year. Christmas and the holidays can be an especially difficult time for many because we miss loved ones and uh, there are difficulties that people are going through. And so it's a time uh, not to ignore them, but to lean into them and ask one another, how can I serve you? Serve one another in your church. Seek how you can serve your neighbors, your, 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 your family members, and also your coworkers. Think about how you can serve others this Christmas. You know, when you adopt an attitude of humility, especially in the local church, you learn that ministry gets a little bit messy. Uh, This past Wednesday, we were having our Christmas party, and our family got to the Christmas party a little late because one of our daughters, she was uh, in a Christmas concert for her school, and so after the Christmas concert, we came to the Christmas party here, and um, we grabbed some snacks, and one of our daughters, our three-year-old, she was starting to eat the popcorn, and she was starting to choke a little bit on it, you know, the caramel popcorn. She was really enjoying it at first, and then she started to choke on it, and so knew she was going to throw up soon, and so I took her by the hand, and I began to walk her to the door, and I was going to walk her outside so that she could throw up there. Well, just as we were about to walk outside, it came out before. Before we made it out the door. And can I tell you, in the lobby there were a few guys, some of our security guys, you know, they're watching out. And you, I mean, it was crazy. I, I, I was just trying to watch this kid and make sure she wasn't going to choke on her popcorn. Don't worry, that popcorn got out of there. She definitely did a good job of that. And these guys, I won't mention their names, but they come running up with rags, cleaning up this floor, saying, hey, you can go. You don't have to clean it up. You can get out of here. And I said, hey, can you get to her mom? And one of them grabbed uh, uh, my wife. And, and it was just a pretty pretty messy situation. Can I tell you, that's a good example of selfless humility, getting down on your hands and knees, scrubbing up someone else's vomit. I mean, that's pretty messy. But when I'm talking about serving one another in the local church, it's not just getting messy when it comes to that. It's getting messy in one another's relationships. You know, we're reminded we're all broken. We all need to be mended and be pointed to Christ. We're reminded this morning that there are times and moments when we feel a bit hopeless and we need our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that we can be transparent enough with who can bring us alongside of them and point us back to his word and to bring alongside of them and to encourage us in our relationship with him. And so can I encourage you in light of the selfless humility of Christ to allow your ministry to get a little bit messy sometimes and be transparent with fellow believers enough for them to know what your weaknesses are so that they can pray for you and so that you can know the weaknesses of others so that you can pray for them. Truly, the church is a hospital before it's a country club. We're reminded this morning that we all need one another. Let us follow the example of Christ in our relationship with others. 
And so first, what did Jesus know? Jesus knew, as we see in our text, that he would model selfless humility, and it's an example that we are to follow. Secondly, we see in our text, verses six to seven, that Jesus knew that he would model this selfless humility and and humble himself through the incarnation. The incarnation simply means God becoming man, Jesus leaving the realm of heaven for earth and being born of a virgin in Bethlehem. We read that as we continue. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. What we're reminded at the beginning of our text is in eternity past, Jesus has always existed as God. Jesus has always existed as God. He continued to exist as God in the incarnation, and he will forever exist as God. What did Jesus know about himself before the incarnation? He knew himself to be God. When the text says, who being in the form of God, form doesn't refer to shape or size. It refers to divine nature and essence. Whatever form God takes, Jesus takes. Whatever divine attributes God has, Jesus has. And we're reminded that all of the privileges given to God in eternity past are also enjoyed by the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. So in eternity past, as God, Jesus has enjoyed the privileges and the glories of heaven all in eternity past. And so we get a glimpse into eternity past in our text and also a glimpse into eternity future. Jesus condescends into the incarnation so that later in verses 9 to 11, he's going to be exalted with a name that is above every name. And so we begin this morning and we're reminded that Jesus is God. Jesus, who is in the form of God, it says, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In eternity past, Jesus has always enjoyed the divine privileges and the glories of heaven. I mean, there's not a time when Jesus is not being worshipped by angelic hosts in eternity past. I mean, they're singing praises to his name. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I mean, when Jesus comes to the earth, the angels cry out, glory to God in the highest. It's a joyous occasion. But what we learn here is that who, being in the form of God, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. The word robbery there refers to see something as a robber would. A robber who takes hold of something that's not theirs, but they hold on to it and they're unwilling to let it go. Other translations put it this way, who being in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or something to be taken advantage of. What it means is that Jesus, while he continued to be God in the incarnation and continued to have access to his divine attributes, for a time he set aside those privileges without having, while still having access to them as God. And it tells us that he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Those privileges, and he veiled for a time through the incarnation, his deity, and his divine attributes. He continued to be God. He still had access to the divine attributes of God, but he was deity wrapped in humanity and came to be born of a virgin 
in a manger in Bethlehem. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Verse seven, but he made himself to be of no reputation. The Greek literally says he emptied himself. Now some people take a look at this text and will say, well, there you have it. Jesus emptied himself of his deity. He emptied himself of his divine attributes. If ever you're in a Bible study and they tell you that Jesus has emptied himself of his deity or his divine attributes and no longer has access to them in the incarnation, leave that Bible study. That's called heresy. If ever you find yourself in a service and a preacher from the pulpit shares with you in regards to Jesus that he emptied himself of his deity or his divine attributes, leave that service that is called blasphemy. What it means that Jesus emptied himself or, or, or um, did, uh, let me read it, taking on the robbery, but it made himself of no reputation. What that means here is not that he emptied himself of deity or did not have access to his divine attributes, but for a time he concealed them and set aside those privileges while continuing to be God and still having access to those divine attributes. Jesus continues to be God even in the incarnation. And there's so much mystery in regards to the Christmas story. And we stand back in awe and wonder at the selfless humility of Christ who condescended into the incarnation who being in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Then the text says, and he came in the form of a bondservant in the likeness of men. When the text tells us that Jesus came in the form of a bondservant, we're reminded not only in eternity past did Jesus know that he was God and he would forever continue to be God, even through the incarnation, but he always knew the plan of God. Later, we're going to see that he became obedient even to the point of death. Not only does he know the plan of God, but he submits to the plan of God even to the point of being crucified on a cross. Jesus came in the form of a bondservant. It tells us at the beginning of the text, verse 6, that he is in the form of God. And then as we continue to read, we learn that he comes in the form of a bondservant in the likeness of men. Whenever you read the Gospels and you read about Jesus, you always read about someone who's not looking to be served, but to serve. Jesus is always about serving the sinners, always about serving his disciples, serving the harlots, serving the tax collectors, serving the people, 5,000 who need some bread to eat, and serving them the message of the kingdom of God. Wherever you see Jesus, you see someone who's serving. He's so about service that as he's drawing near to his crucifixion, he doesn't ask for his feet to be washed. He washes the feet of his own disciples. Jesus is a bond servant. What an example for us to follow as believers. The story of Christmas is not just about a gift to be received, but is about an example to be followed. And so when we see what Christ has done as those who have received the gift, we can't help but have and adopt that attitude of selfless humility in our service one to another. He came in the form of a bondservant in the likeness of men. Swindoll says this, In a state of absolute perfection and full control, Jesus willingly stepped out of his rightful realm of glory for the sake of humanity. 
Though encompassed by an angelic chorus of perpetual praise, the son unselfishly came to dwell among those who would curse and abuse him. Though enwrapped in the radiant light of his own divine glory, God the Son put a veil of flesh over his glory, not diminishing it or extinguishing it, but concealing it all on behalf of a cold, dark world that sought to plunge him in the shadow of death. What an incomprehensible, unfathomable example of selfless humility. What a beautiful picture of what selfless humility is when we take a look at Jesus Christ who being in the form of God condescended into the incarnation and was born as a baby in a manger. This Christmas is kind of special for our family. Uh, We have a three-month-old. He just turned three months. And we hold this little guy in our arms. And can I tell you, he is completely dependent on us, or his mom, But he's completely dependent on us for everything. Whether it's food and nourishment, whether it's rocking him to sleep, whether it's changing his diet, everything that he needs, we provide him. And I want you to think about this for a moment. God, who in eternity past existed in the form of God, enjoyed all the privileges of God and the glories of heaven, the King of kings and Lord of lords condescends into the incarnation and is completely dependent on his mother and his father for nourishment. Completely dependent on them to rock him to sleep. You talk about selfless humility. It's found in the incarnation as Jesus was deity wrapped in humanity. It's but a mystery and it causes us to stand back in awe and wonder at what Christ has done. The story of Christmas is about a gift to be received, an example to be followed. Let me invite you again If you haven't yet responded and you're here as a seeker or an unbeliever this morning, if that first point hasn't convinced you that Jesus has set a selfless uh, example in humility, may this point convince you to trust in Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. To admit your need for him. To admit Jesus, there's a thing called sin. It separates me from you and I'm in desperate need of salvation and to trust in him right now as Savior and as Lord. Tomorrow is not the day of salvation. Today can be the day of salvation. You don't have to wait for me to lead you in a prayer of salvation. You can do it right here and right now. John 3.16 tells us why Jesus, who is God, enjoying the divine privileges of heaven, decided to come to earth. And not just come to earth in the form of a baby, but grow up to be ridiculed and mocked, beaten and crucified on a cross because of his love for you and for me. John 3.16 says it so beautifully, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave him as a free gift, an indescribable gift, that whoever should believe in him shouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. And then secondly, this morning, if you, if you need to receive the gift, receive it. But if you're a believer who has already received the gift, follow the selfless example of Christ. Take time to continue to ask, how can I serve others? Um, it's a good thing to pray this Christmas, before the Christmas holiday comes, to ask God, God, who are those people that you want me to have conversations with and to guide those conversations to spiritual things? 
God, how do you want me to encourage um, um, unbelievers to, 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 to continue to, to lean into the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ or invite them to church? God, how can, you, how can you guide me and direct me in my conversations with believers so that I can be an encouragement to them during this holiday season? Continue to ask the question how you can serve others because Jesus didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so first we, we saw that Jesus, what did he know? He knew that he would exemplify selfless humility. He knew that he would humble himself through the incarnation by becoming a man born as a babe in a manger. And thirdly, Jesus knew that he would humble himself through the crucifixion. He would humble himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death on a cross. Verse eight tells us this. It says, in being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point, or he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. As we read our text, we get to see all throughout verses six to seven is that Jesus, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. It tells us he, he made himself of no reputation. He came in the form of a bondservant. It tells us he, being found in the appearance as a man, became obedient to the point of death on the cross. And what we get to see here is Jesus continuing to condescend down, down, down. Because as he condescends to the point of being crucified on the cross, three days later, he's going to be raised and the Father is the one who is going to exalt him and give him a name that is above every name. But we get to pause here for a moment because we're reminded of what Christmas is all about. The reason Jesus was born in a manger was in order that he might come and die on a cross for your sins and mine. You miss the Christmas story if you only focus on the cradle and you miss the cross. The cross is the reason Jesus came. The reason Jesus lived a sinless life is in order that he might die a sacrificial, substitutionary death. When Jesus went to that cross, he was a sinless savior. He didn't deserve to go, but the reason he went was to take your place and to take my place. That's the, that's the good news of the gospel of Christ. We transfer to his account our sin and he pays for it. He transfers to our account righteousness and we have a right standing before God. We are in terms of the word justified, declared righteous in his sight and there's nothing like being in a right standing before God. And so the invitation is once more, if, if you're an unbeliever or a seeker in this room this morning, recognize your need for him. There's something that separates you from God and you're saying, I don't know what it is. There's some barrier that's always separated me from God. It's a thing called sin. Just admit it. Agree with God. Confess him as your Savior and Lord. Receive forgiveness of sins and then follow his example as those who have received the gift of salvation. Uh, can I um, read to you a little poem? Well, it's written in an article by John MacArthur, and it reminds us of the reason Jesus came. He came to be born in order to die. Listen to this. Those soft little hands fashioned by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb were made so that the nails might be driven through them. Those little pink feet unable to walk would one day walk up a dusty hill to 
be nailed to a cross. That sweet infant's head with sparkling eyes and eager mouth was formed so that someday men might force a crown of thorns on it. That tender body, warm and soft, wrapped in swaddling clothes, would one day be ripped open by a Roman spear. Jesus was born to die. And we're reminded that this Christmas, we're reminded that as we focus on the cradle, we would look to the cross. And if you haven't trusted in him, receive the gift of salvation. If you have trusted in him, you have a great example to follow, and it's a challenging one at that. If you're going to walk in selfless humility and follow the example of Christ, you and I have to be willing to count the cost. We're reminded in Scripture. In Matthew 16, 24 to 25, Jesus tells his disciples, a disciple is just someone who who follows. Uh, A disciple is someone who, who is a learner, one who follows their teacher's teachings. But Jesus says, if you want to follow me, If you want to be a disciple of mine, here's the example. You have to follow. you got to count the cost. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? We are reminded that we need to count the cost. If you're going to walk in selfless humility, it's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you your comfort. You're going to have to use your talent that God has given you and treasures you've been given. Have you ever wondered why Jesus left you here the moment that you received Christ as your Savior and Lord? He didn't leave you here in order that you might have better fellowship with one another. You can get that in heaven. It wasn't for the reason of worship. I mean, you can have an amazing worship experience up in heaven. Jesus didn't leave you here in order that you might build a successful career. Jesus didn't leave you here in order that you could accumulate as much money as possible in the bank account. Jesus didn't even leave you here to to build a nice, wonderful family. Jesus left you here and me here in order that we might share the gospel and take as many people as possible with us to heaven, we must be willing to count the cost. We must be willing to give up our comforts. And that begins this Christmas. How can you give up your comforts? Well, I'm going to have some family over. And, you know, I know there's some people that I could invite over, but we're a little bit busy right now. We're reminded, just sacrifice a little bit in order to minister to those in your family, among your friends, your coworkers, those around you, who is God laying on your heart that he wants you to minister to? I found this one time. It says, Greece said, be wise, know yourself. Rome said, be strong, discipline yourself. Religion says, be good, conform yourself. Epicureanism says, be sensuous, satisfy yourself. Education says, be resourceful, expand yourself. Psychology says, be confident, assert yourself. Materialism says, be possessive, please yourself. Ascetics say, be lowly, suppress yourself. Humanism says, be capable, believe in yourself. Bright says, be superior, promote yourself. Christ says, be unselfish, humble yourself. Let us follow the example of Christ, who in selfless humility, condescended into the incarnation, was born as a babe in a manger in order that he might grow up to die on a cross in your place and in mine. What an example we have to follow this Christmas.
You know, it reminds me of a, a story of a man who had come to church and pastor hadn't seen him in a while and it was Christmas services and the man came up to the pastor and the pastor said, uh, Jim, it's about time you joined the army of the Lord. Jim responded, I am in the army of the Lord. Pastor said, how come we only see you a couple times a year, you know, around Easter and Christmas? And then Jim, he looked to the left, he looked to the right, and then he whispered to his pastor, I'm in the secret service. <laughs> Did you know when it comes to being disciples of Christ, there's no such thing as the secret service. Let us deny ourselves. Let us take up our cross and let us follow after him, following his example. And so we've seen who Jesus is. He knew, he knew from the very beginning that he would set this example of selfless humility. He would humble himself through the incarnation and then through the crucifixion. And also what, we, what he knew is he would humble himself in light of his future exaltation. As I said earlier, it tells us Jesus humbled himself and humbled himself. He condescended into the incarnation. He went and died through the crucifixion. And then the text says he was exalted by the Father. What did the Father do in verse 9? Therefore God, the Father, has exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Last time we were together in Isaiah chapter 9, we learned some of the names of Jesus. Well, Jesus, the reason he's given that name is because he would save his people from their sin. We read about the names of Jesus all throughout the scripture. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So what does it mean that, that he is going to receive a name that is above every name? The text goes on to tell us the reason he's given the name that is every, above every name is so that they might, in verse 11, confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is going to be, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The means by which he's been given the name above every name is because he is the Lord. And as the Lord, it tells us what the reward is given to Jesus. It says, given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That tells us in heaven, the angelic hosts, in the invisible spiritual realm, every creature, every created being will bow their knee before Jesus, who is Christ the Lord. It tells us in heaven, on earth, that's every creature and under the earth. That refers to Satan himself. That refers to the demonic realm and that refers to unbelievers. Let me tell you this now. You can choose to confess him as Lord now and receive salvation or you can confess him as Lord unto condemnation in the future. Today is the day of salvation. The reason we haven't experienced the wrath or the judgment of God in being damned to an eternity without God and his people forever and ever is because God has shown us mercy. And we should respond to that mercy with thanksgiving and tell God, thank you. I'm gonna trust in you. I'm gonna place my faith in you. I'm gonna receive forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. What good news we've been given. Verse 11, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This morning, we are invited to come under the reign of Jesus Christ. 
in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives. There's a prayer that we pray that the Lord Jesus instructed us to pray. He said, he said our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we're saying, Lord, let your kingdom reign in my heart as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom reign in my mind as it is in heaven. Lord, let your kingdom reign in my marriage as it is in heaven. Lord, let your kingdom reign in this church as it is in heaven as we come under the rule of Christ in all things. Let his reign and rule rule over your life and everything in it. That's the invitation. That's the good news of the gospel. The invitation is the reminder that Christmas is about a gift to be received and is about an example to be followed. As those who have trusted in Christ as Savior and as Lord, we have an opportunity to glorify him and declare that Jesus, you have been given the name above every name. At your name, who is my Lord, I'm gonna bow my knee and I'm gonna confess with my tongue that you are Lord. To whom? To the glory of God the Father. Did you know that Jesus is an extension of the words and the works of the Father? All throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus always says, I do nothing independently of myself. So the plan of God in eternity past that Jesus knew about, that he submitted to through the incarnation and then the subsequent crucifixion and then ultimately through the resurrection that would lead to his exaltation, it was all done for the glory of God the Father. And so this morning, we're reminded to shift our focus there's lots of things happening around Christmas time. There's dinners you're preparing for, family members who are coming in, parties that you're going to attend. May you fix your eyes on what Christ has accomplished in demonstrating his selfless humility, coming as a babe born in a manger in order that he might die on a cross for your sins and for mine. In a moment, we're about to sing a song. A song that's written, I think it's written by Chris Tomlin, a song that speaks about he shall reign forevermore. And I want to read you those lyrics before you sing them so that you can invite the reign of Christ over your life and you can invite others you come into contact with to experience the reign of, of Christ in their lives as they trust in Christ as their Savior and Lord. Listen to these lyrics. In the bleak midwinter, all creation groans for a world in darkness. Frozen like a stone, light is breaking in a stable for a throne, and he shall reign forevermore. He shall reign forevermore. Unto us a child is born, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He shall reign forevermore. If I were a wise man, I would travel far. If I were a shepherd, I would do my part. But poor as I am, I will give to him my heart, and he will reign forevermore. Here within a manger lies the one who made the starry skies, the baby born for sacrifice, Christ the Messiah. Into our hopes, into our fears, the Savior of the world appears, the promise of eternal years, Christ the Messiah. He shall reign forevermore. Let me conclude where I began. The reason Jesus left the realm of heaven to come to this earth, this island of hopelessness, 
was in order to provide hope for the hopeless. As he went out to seek and to save the lost, he died in a man- was born in a manger in order to die on a cross for your sins. Receive that today and invite the reign of Christ over your life forevermore. Can we pray? Father in heaven, we declare in light of verses 9 to 11 that, Lord Jesus, you shall reign forevermore. You have been given the name, Lord Jesus, that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Right now, Lord Jesus, we confess with our mouths, Jesus Christ is Lord. And we say that to the glory of the Father. We bow our knee. We invite the reign and rule of Christ over our hearts, over our minds, over our marriages, over our family, and over this church. Father, this Christmas, help us to fix our eyes on Christ, the true reason for the season. Let us reflect on how Jesus became a baby and was born in a manger, went to die on a cross. May that be a gift that is received and an example that is followed in our relationships one with another. Father, I pray for Twin Rivers Church that in light of the Christmas story, that where there is humility among our body, there would be harmony as well. And that where there is harmony, there would be effectiveness as we make disciples here in Springfield, in Lane County, and to the ends of the earth. Father, as we've given an opportunity for others this morning to invite Christ into their lives, if there's someone who wants to do that this morning, I want to invite them to say this prayer, Lord, with me. Father, I recognize that I am a sinner. I've, I've, I've missed the mark. I've walked in disobedience in my attitudes, my actions, and my affections. I know this is what separates me from God. It comes from a, a state of a heart that is in rebellion against God. God, I know I need a new heart, and I know that's why you sent Jesus. Today I make Jesus my Savior, the one who will forgive me of my sins. I make him my Lord, the one I'm going to follow all the days of my life into eternity. Father, thank you for the story of Christmas. We give you all glory, honor, and praise, and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.